Hey, welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. In this episode, I've got another man that's back for round two, this time being Kieran. Last time he talked to us, I think the title of the podcast was something around $30,000 worth of influencer deals at 17 years old. Well, now the title of Kieran's podcast is $4 million of influencer deals at 18 years old. This is an example of a business that's been really accelerated by coronavirus, which is around influencers. We talk about the extreme niche that most of his creators uh, perform in. We talk about why the influencers command the amount of dollars that they do and how they spend it. We also talk about building a brand and equity partnerships within the space. It's a good discussion. Hopefully you enjoy it as well. And there's also a lot of comments from the LinkedIn Live and Twitch chat that I put into this and ask it. There was some really good discussion there. So if you would like to join in the discussion, feel free to tune in. Generally, I record these either Thursday or Friday morning Australian time, which is um, obviously Wednesday or Thursday night US time. And the podcasts are released every Thursday, uh, Australia, Wednesday, US. Enjoy. Kieran, we're live. How are you? Good. How are you? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Um, you know, kicking it in the coronavirus lockdown as always, but it's good to have you on for, for talk number two. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been great. <laughs> well, the first one was great. This one should be better. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone from great to better. Well, I mean, last time you were 17, right? This time you're 18. Um, no, I, I actually turned 19 on the 18th of October. So if you Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, happy birthday for that. There oh, you go. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I guess, um, you know, for those people who didn't listen to our first one, because I think, was it, was our first talk on LinkedIn live or was that podcast only? It was, it was LinkedIn live. And then you, you, it was, I think it was across everything. I think just yeah, okay. you didn't you didn't start to Twitch back then. So it would have been, it would have been like one of my first ever LinkedIn lives then. Like it would have been right, right near the start of it. 52, 53, was it? Yeah. Yeah. It would have been right near the start of LinkedIn live. Yeah, it's, okay. it's funny seeing that. Yeah, it's funny thinking about like, because we've been in lockdown for so long here in Melbourne, it's like everything feels like it's been a long time and no time at the same time. Like we've been in lockdown since March here, like stage three, stage four and stage four for us, which we're still in at the moment is like, we have a limit on how far we can travel and we had a curfew for a while and all the businesses closed and things like that. So we go a bit insane being stuck inside. (laughs) Yeah. We just actually entered my location in Canada. It just went into, we call it red zone instead of, so it's basically the highest zone. But I mean, we can yeah. still we can still do whatever. I mean, the rules are not that bad. I mean, you just can't go. You know, you have to do your six feet. But I mean, there's nothing like a curfew. We don't have curfews. We can we can go to stores and groceries and things like that. Yeah. Well, that's good, man. So for those people who didn't listen to our last one, um, maybe they should go back and do that. But can you just give us a, a quick wrap up into who you are and, and what you do? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, I'm Kieran John. You recently turned nineteen. I'm the founder and CEO of Elusive Talent Agency. Um, I mean, I represent gaming creators, and uh, since quarantine, it has tremendously excelled my my company. Um, not only with signing talent, but the revenue as well. I think last time we spoke, I, I did three hundred thousand, and since quarantine, I'm up to just under four million dollars in in sales. So, doing this alone has been challenging, but I mean, it's it's really helped my business. You know school being cancelled for a while and just going at it really and hustling. Yeah. So like talking about being a talent agency, um, I think it's important to phrase like what we were talking about before we went live, which is like the kind of talent that you manage. So most people who listen to this podcast and on LinkedIn would be used to kind of like the faces of these people. So like the shroud, the ninja, the doctor disrespect, you know, the people that are getting serious views, signing big deals, but they're, you know, potentially on the front of cereal boxes. But for you, yeah. like most of your talent are 
I guess what you would call like faceless creators, their niche. Um, people don't necessarily know who they are, but they will rely on the power of their content, not necessarily on the power of their face. So can you, can you give some examples of kind of people you work with? Yeah. I mean, um, my, my largest creator right now, um, they're, they're a Dota, uh, two channels. So they're the largest Dota two channel on YouTube. I mean, they've never, they're a faceless channel. They're all about their content and, and, uh, they have a really very niche community. Um, and they're at 3 million uh, subscribers right now, averaging anywhere between a million uh, views per, per video. Um, they also started a second channel now um, to do uh, Among Us and other different games. So that's, that's awesome. Um, I also have Marcus Veltri. He's at about 3 million on YouTube. Um, he does the Omega videos. So he, he doesn't have actually like doesn't create gaming videos, um, but he has that like gaming community kind of crossover. Um, and he's the only one I think really shows his face and everyone else is kind of faceless and, um, just has that mature audience and very niche. Um, but they can really push products even though they don't have much personality, you know, in, into their videos and, and channel, I guess. Mm. Mm. And to explain it further, it's like, um, they're all like the biggest within their specific like little niches. So like yeah. some of some of the channels that I've seen make basically like Dota 2 meme videos. They just do yeah. weird and wacky things in Dota 2. The editing is funny and that's why people watch it. They have no yeah. idea who the person is. They don't know where they live. They don't even hear their voice most of the time. And that's, that's all they see. Or like another one you were talking about with some, with some guys you've done some work with who literally just release PUBG mobile gameplay. They don't talk. They don't really have logos. They don't yeah. show their face. They don't do anything. It's just, you know, people follow them because of the content they post. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're both, you know, those guys are both over 10 million, you know, subscribers uh, each and they're brothers. Nobody knows their brothers and, you know, they've got a million on Instagram, but all they do is, is re- really just repost their small little clips on Instagram and they, they get a hundred thousands of likes for, for, you know, just playing, just playing PUBG mobile. So. Yeah. Nuts, man. It's nuts yeah. because like it, it's so hard for, uh, people from outside to understand like why YouTube would be so big, like a ninja or a shroud. And then even like for people in the gaming market, even like what we're talking about, you manage these guys and it's, and sometimes it's hard to understand how they're so big, but it just shows like people want to consume content, right? Yeah, exactly. hundred yeah. percent. So we, like we, we did like a big esports. We did some content recently about, um, you know, how not everybody's winning throughout coronavirus period. So like how, you know, esports is, has, trended downward slightly the market and that's because you know there's no live events so think about all the companies that do like live event production think about all the ticket sales that have been happening you know even here in australia we had the intel extreme masters cancelled you know um esl has basically run what is it one csgo event the whole year live i believe it was and things like that too but as far as creators go like you said um you know you've done a couple million dollars in sales since coronavirus kicked off it's really picked up you know we've, we've done some content looking at like gamers group riad um who owns a, an esports website and a gaming website he's posted that his viewership is up like 300 percent time on site a lot of the influencers that we're talking to is seeing a lot more so besides the general theme of these these influencers are making more views and they're making more money what sort of brands are investing into these guys is is there any brands that are new that are coming in or are the brands that are already advertising these guys doubling down like like how do you see that um, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, starting off the, the, in May, it kind of took a halt. Um, when that's when I really started uh, going into my business, I had one exclusive creator. Now I'm up to 40. Um, so, 
um, dealing with that creator was really tough on getting um, brands to come in. You know, all the brands kind of took a hold on their marketing spend. Um, but then as, as they adapted to quarantine, I mean, I've seen um, people like Raycon, especially, um, spend a lot of money. They, they've even renewed with a few guys for the rest of the year for two to three integrations per month. Um, uh, ExpressVPN as well, the VPN companies. I feel like, you know, the typical mobile games are usually... Uh, still still promoting out there. Um, but newer brands um, that I can think of. Um, recently, actually, I don't know if you know, it, but the hair loss uh, brand Keeps or something, Keeps.com, basically it's just a hair okay. product treatment and they're targeting a lot of the, the gaming audience and, you know, we've been approached by them. So, I mean, it, it's picking back up um, and hopefully uh, for Q4, people, they spend the rest of the budget that they didn't spend at the beginning of the year and hopefully with me, but uh yeah, those are some of the brands that we've done, you know, six multi six figures deals with uh, over the past two three months. Mm. And it's like you know, even even like the brands that you're saying are ones that most people on LinkedIn wouldn't be thinking about necessarily. You know, most people are talking about how do you get that Mercedes deal in esports? How do you get the Razor deal? How do you get you know KFC or McDonald's or Subway or someone like that? Whereas it's like, you know, discussing and and that's that's part of the reason I want to have you on is is talking about like this whole niche within a niche. There's this whole thing out there where you can make bank off of ad revenue, of you know, not people not even knowing who you are, of you know, VPN companies that want to advertise in the space, and it's all like this this weird kind of gray market that's hard to understand if you're not in it. But if you're yeah. in it, and, and the creators we know, they make some serious money off this, and usually most of the time they just keep to themselves. They don't, yeah. you know, they don't want to play in the markets of raising capital. They don't want to play in the markets of talking about how cool they are. They just want to make their videos, make their money, and go to bed. Yeah, exactly. And all these, all these larger agencies and, uh, you know, try to try to target the ninjas and the shrouds and, you know, the, the market that I'm in, like the really niche faceless kind of community is not really touched. So it's, 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 I would say easier to, to sign these creators because they don't have tons of uh, agencies trying to, trying to sign them. Right. So they kind of give it a go. And if they build a relationship with you, then it's, it's, you know, they, they'll stick by you, but um, you know, all these like CAA UTAs are always, you know, going for now a shroud and ninja, but you know, I, I know I won't be able to sign those. So I don't even bother doing so, but uh, I think that's, that's a massive, I guess, success factor of going for a, a community or a niche that hasn't been targeted by agents or, or managers yet. Mm. And there are also niches that you need to be a fan to understand, right? Like watching, like, um, you know, watching El Wino's channel, which is example I used before about the Dota 2 guy that makes weird meme videos. Like you yeah. wouldn't get, you wouldn't get any of his videos at all unless you're a Dota 2 player like I am. Yeah. Like there's not a chance. And it also means that you couldn't make those videos if you weren't a hardcore Dota 2 fan yourself. Because not only does he have to create the content, he has to play in it, he has to come up with the ideas. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and do the storyboarding and, and do like, you know, how it's going to look. And he's got his own special way of editing that's that's funny. It's as funny as the content that's on the screen. Yeah, exactly. And and making sure that he sticks to that, you know, style throughout the whole time. And because, you know, he doesn't have a personality to, to broadcast to his audience. So he has to stay consistent with his editing and his content and making sure that, you know, he's pushing out the same kind of content, I guess. And uh, he's been doing well. And um, all the other guys too. Um, but I mean, some guys are taking a hit on, on YouTube as well. Um, so we've been kind of struggling with that as well. 
There's a, there's a really good question from Carson in the chat. Um, one one that I that I wish I thought of, so I'm glad that he asked it. Which is, so if you're if you're renewing a contract with an influencer for like a year or two years with a brand, how do, how do you account for the potential growth of the influencer? What happens if they're at a hundred thousand subs and you sell a deal for two thousand a video, and then all of a sudden they explode and they're at a million subs, and you know they're they're doing five extra views. Uh, um, that that I mean, most of my guys, to be honest, are not really fast growing people like the rest community. They're typically a kind of stable growth, consistent view. So like half the guys that I have for an example, Bernie, he's about 500,000, uh, no, 250,000 subs, but he averages half a million each video. So I know that signing him with a long-term partnership at a, you know, at a fixed rate wouldn't be necessarily, I guess, a risk because I know that he won't really grow because he's, the biggest right now in, in rust, but, you know, if you take someone like shroud or ninja or anyone that has, you know, the potential or is in the mainstream, like, you know, taking a, an among us streamers that's growing exponentially and then entering into a 12 months. I mean, it, it can be harder to, to talk to the brand and say, listen, like this guy's potentially going to be here in, in two months and now he's only here. So like, I haven't gotten to that, you know, stage yet where I have to think about that. Cause most of my guys are kind of, stagnant with their growth they're not really uh i guess fast growing channels so i, I haven't experienced it yet but once i do i'll let i'll let carson know <laughs> well, that makes sense and i guess like the my answer to that that i've done with most influencers is, is if they're worried just sign a six-month contract and then yeah. take the hit because it's six months of money you're not going to get so would you rather not sign it or sign six months like yeah. you know you may, you may as well and especially if it's like a lot of the brands that you're talking about a lot of the time won't necessarily just be upfront money they'll be commission as well so if nothing else, you can outpace. And and that's what we've talked about before with like our gambling client unicorn that we do a lot of stuff with, you know, some of like some of the talent that, that we work with, like, like Matt CS, you know, he earns two X his base payment in commission, but that's the goal with him. It's to coach him how to get the best commission. It's to make the best ads and to really incentivize him to do that. And now, you know, we find that creators will sometimes do videos for free or they'll put the links in the description or they'll talk about it on stream or they'll talk about it with their mates when they wouldn't otherwise because they're really incentivized to actually do a good job rather than what you see sometimes with these esports team contracts where it's like, just paste the money up front, we'll do our basic tweets and, and off you go. Yeah, I, I've tried to to explain that uh, about the commission kind of, you know, you can really like, if you're able to push a product and you know that you can sell, you can really double the amount that you would get if you were to get a flat rate. Uh, but for some creators, it's just, I guess, the uncertainty um, or, or they, they're just insecure and, you know, they're, they're not, not insecure, but they don't know, they're not confident enough that they'll be able to push a product. So they just much rather take the flat rate rather than, you know, some creators that I know that, you know, they, they do crazy numbers in, in commission, but I have also creators that are like, you know, I, you know, I much rather take a, a 500 flat rate a month rather than, you know, uh, a potential uh, two, three K a month. So it's been yeah. hard to explain yeah. it, but sometimes I try to push it because I know it's the best option, but uh, you know, I have to respect what the, what the creator wants as well. Yeah. And I was trying to explain to someone the other day, and I'll be interested if you see this too, is that, because some of these creators are, are young and they're making such good money, they don't care about making more money. Like, you know, like, and I've talked to quite a few like that. If you look at, and, and that's where, and I don't know this for a fact, but that's where I feel like Laserbeam is right now. Think about the amount of money he's creating and think about the amount of brand deals he does compared to a Ninja or a Shroud or whatever. He's got no ongoing sponsors. He signed a deal with YouTube, but there's no logos on his stream. Most of his videos are just him screwing around, having fun. And, you know, I know that we tried to do a brand deal with him and he didn't pick up the phone because he didn't want to. And and that's where I feel like 
there's maybe a disconnect between like some of our audience on LinkedIn and, and us who are very business minded is that some of these guys are like, you know, like one of, one of my mates, he's, you know, 23 years old and he's going to make 600 K this year. He's like, I don't care about more brand deals. Like, you know, I bought a house, like I'm young. I look after my family. He gave his, you think he gave his dad $5,000 for his dad's birthday, took his mum shopping for her birthday. It's like opposite land in their family, but it's like, he doesn't care about signing any more big deals. He's making enough money and much more than he ever thought he would. Yeah. So I've had a similar experience where it was a massive, you know, I think it was $25,000 and it was the largest deal I've gotten for this creator. And he was like, I, I don't need it right now. It's, you know, he did his deals in the past and he was like, you know, I don't need it. And I, <laughs> it was a lot of money, but he just, he just didn't need it. He didn't care for it. So I, I feel like it, some creators get to that point where they just really don't need brands anymore, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, and you know, we've, we've talked about, and, and you and I personally have talked about sometimes where creators will stuff it up just because they're lazy and they won't do it because they don't want to do things. So, so it's not always the fact of it's just wholesome. Like, you know, I've made enough money. I don't want to be too capitalist to make more <laughs> and feel like yeah, sometimes, sometimes yeah. it's both sides. <laughs> yeah. It's just, some of it. Yeah. I, I can see like, you know, some creators are like, you know, it, it's, it's a Friday night. I, I'm not down to record a video for tomorrow or, you know, making this, this integration. So I, I might as well just <laughs> say no to it. But in my yeah, head, it's yeah. like, free 25k yeah 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 there's there's always a reason right sometimes it's lazy sometimes it's just you know i think they realize that they work too hard like we were talking before we started recording you know i had a brand that came to me and they're like hey we need to spend like 25 grand in 10 days and it was hard because most of the youtubers are like no like i want to spend a couple days thinking about what the video should be and then i want to edit it and you know my editor lives in wherever random other country and it takes a day for them to edit it and send back like it's just not going to happen yeah, I, I see that uh, as with my creators. I see like some of them are, are, you know, really on the ball, can turn around something in two days. Some really take their time. You know, they take sometimes three to four days to put their research into the product or services to make sure that it aligns with, uh, you know, their their brand and what they, they believe in. So, um, you know, you have two different types of creators and it's as, a, as an agent, it's awesome to, or a manager, I guess, to, I guess, adapt and learn with each creator that you work with. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's true, man. I, I follow a few podcasts like that, that I love. Like Daryl Cooper has this podcast called Marta Made, Um, and he launched it with talking about like the whole history of Israel versus Palestine. And then he's doing a whole one now about the whole origin of drink the Kool-Aid around the cult where that came yeah. from. But it's horrible because he does, he releases an episode like every six months. He just, you just yeah. want more of that content, man. And it's yeah. like, that's why I subscribe to him on Patreon because I, I feel like as a, as a listener, hopefully my dollars will go towards him hiring some more people or, or anyone because he does it himself <laughs> while working full time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. How do you like? Do you how do you find the effectiveness of brand deals? Do you have many of your brand deals that come through that are saying like we need to deliver X amounts of uh, sales directly through them, or are the brand deals more focused on how many views they're receiving? Like, like how does that work? Um recently it's been on just just the views so just taking the average views and just giving us a rate based off that you know 20 25 cpm um like like for for raycon they weren't you know they didn't say oh we need this amount of sales or it's a you have to make a make a good video or things like that um i mean internally their goal is obviously to create sales but in in, in the agreement or you know in a in a deal with us, you know, they, they didn't state, you know, we need L1 to sell 3000 uh, products from its integration. But uh, if, if he did well, they usually came back, which they did for uh, for him and a few others. And, you know, they renewed for, for six months or until the end of the year. So 
we know based on 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 their renewing who did well and who who had to you know not not get the renew yeah yeah and and I think sometimes it's about the effort put into the ad, right? Like speaking of Elwino, I haven't watched him in a while, but I watched him the other day and I watched his ad for um, Phil Mora. There was yeah. a lot of effort that was put into that. It was full acting, you know, it was looked like it was part of the video, like, you know, and if you, once again, you know, if you put in that effort, like it's going to, it's going to convert. But can you, can you just also confirm for those listening? So you said 20 to 25 CPM. Can you just explain exactly what that means to people? Yeah. So uh, there's, there's a kind of a, uh, industry i guess standard on payments or rates on views i guess so you know if, if, if a creator like a, a wano is averaging let's take 100 100,000 views per video um 20 cpm or 25 cpm is how much we would charge so that would be anywhere between 2000 to 2500 us dollars and as the views increase you know if someone is averaging um a million views, then it goes to 20k to 25k, um, and and that's typically where I, as a manager, kind of base the 20 25 CPM. Um, if if the guys really enjoy the product, like Iwano, he really enjoyed uh, Filmora, will more than happy drop to you know 15 um, or you know something like that. Um, but we do also change in if it's a fixed rate, we'll go lower. So let's say Iwano charges normally six thousand dollars fixed rate. If, if the brand is offering a CPM deal, which is, you know, 25 CPM, we'd like a higher cap, which is usually, you know, $8,000 just because we don't know if he's going to make that guarantee six. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how we kind of price our, our integrations with, with our creators currently. Yeah. And I guess to, and to even double explain what you're saying, cause I'm also seeing some comments in the chat. In this case, it's up to the brand to understand what their conversion would be based off this. It's up to them to understand that out of every thousand clients that see our our advertisement is likely to achieve this many um, customers come through spending this much money on their conversion. So it's, it's very similar to how you would do a Google ads campaign or a Facebook ads campaign. Yeah. You know, you need to understand what do they call it? ROAS return on ad spend. You need to understand yeah. what your ROAS is and it's exactly the same. You're just spending money directly with the creator. And I think that's the, I think maybe that's the easy way to break it down that, that people don't think of it like that, which is like, how can a 23 year old kid be making so much money? Well, it's like, it's because he's got 500,000 people that watch every single video he releases. So of course he does. You compare that to an entire TV station. You know, if you look at, if you look at laser beam, he's one man that will record a video and he'll, he'll send out a tweet and say, Hey, everybody send me some cool TikToks." he'll spend probably three hours recording him watching and reacting to TikToks. He'll yeah. send it off to a part-time editor that probably gets paid a hundred to $500 at most to edit that video. If that, sometimes they get paid like 50 bucks because, because of the countries they live in, he uploads it. And in a day he's got five and a half million views. Yeah. I mean, like how, how many views is he getting? And obviously it's not the same market, but how many views is he getting versus an NBA game? Like yeah. how many views is he getting versus a Super Bowl? Like at his peak, he was getting 270 million video views a month just himself yeah. on YouTube. That doesn't include his 2 million on TikTok. That doesn't include his Twitter, his million on Instagram, like all that kind of stuff too. So I think if you boil it down like that, people can probably start to understand that these guys are like entire ad agent and they're like entire media agencies inside one person that creates content, that yeah. creates content out of a random Eastern European country where the average wage is $15,000 um, US a year. And these guys are making 15,000 integration. So of course they don't care about making more money. Like, and, and they're young. So they just, you know, they usually buy themselves a nice car, buy a house, look after their family and off you go. 
Yeah, exactly. I percent agree. I mean, you know, even you saying that, you know, laser beam averaging 5 million views and having more views than an NBA game just sounds crazy. And, and people don't take that into, you know, they just look at the number and just like, you know, it's 5 million views, but it's in real reality, it's 5 million people that are watching your video in a day. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. And if you look at like, you know, I've been, and I've been trying to make some comparisons. Like we're doing a little bit of work with KPMG here in Australia. And that's why I've been trying to really work on like those explanations to explain like how big people are. So we've been trying to do some work here in the past with, with stream hatchet and also one of my mates who works in traditional sport, because I want to figure out a way to one-to-one compare CPM delivery and also size of like laser beam versus like a traditional sports team versus like an entire media organization. Cause I think there are some comparisons, but I just need to figure out what that metric is to compare them to. But even if you compare that to like, the biggest show in Australia right now is, is this SAS show where they're putting like kind of celebrities through a complete SAS course, but that peaked at like a million viewers. You know, if you, yeah. if you look at, you know, once again, if you, if you look at it, well, I mean, laser beam gets 5.5 in 24 hours. Now, obviously the SAS show is more based in Australian audiences, but if you just do that one-to-one comparison, you can show that there's some serious size for someone like him. So if you look at the amount of, you know, CPM that he's getting through, if you use that example of that CPM that you said, if you average that out, you can, you can quickly understand how much money someone like him is making um, just off, just off ad revenue. Yeah, for sure. It's crazy. <laughs> how do you, how do you pick a creator to work with? How do I pick a creator to work with? Interesting yeah, question. Like, I guess it's two, and I guess a two part question. Are you reaching out to them? Are they reaching out to you? And if, if so, either one, like how do you decide like, yes, this is a person I want to sign. All right. Let's, let's reverse it. So if I reach out to them first, um, initially in May, I signed my first creator. Uh, his name is uh, Maji, also known as his new real name is Sean. He's a Rust, Rust creator. Um, and I reached out to him. He was stuck in an a agency contract and they were taking 25%. Uh, he made $6,000 in two years or something crazy like that. Um, and it wasn't insane. And uh, I told him, listen, give me a shot. Um, I'll, I'll do some deals with you. Um, and you know, I was reaching out to him. I was talking to him, trying to build a relationship with him. And in the first month we did uh, 50,000 or something crazy. Um, so he was like, you know what, I'm on it. I'm on board. Um, and then I reached out to, to a lot of, you know, just emails, uh, social media followings I had with creators or past relationships. And, um, I built up to about 11 and once I got to 11 or between 11 and 15 creators, um, their friends pretty much just came aboard. So he was like, um, recently, uh, I have an Australian creator called Sir Winter. Uh, he makes gaming videos. Um, and he just uh, sent me his friends and I just signed him. His name is Vertigo. Um, he was sitting at 700,000 subscribers. And at this point, like, um, you know, I'm not getting ninjas and shrouds, but I'm getting decent side creators without, you know, outreaching. And it's based from uh, current clients that I have. And they know each other as well, which also helps if they want to do some collaboration or if a brand wants to work with both of them, it, it really helps. Um, and picking the creators, um, for me, the main, I guess, metric is looking at the demographics. Um, I usually tend to go really high on the U S audience and super, I guess a lot mature, like, you know, in the high 25, 34 bracket, that's where I found my success with a lot of brands. I mean, if I present that demographic to them, um, I mean, it's pretty much a, a, a deal. Uh, it's just figuring out what the price is. So mm-hmm. that's my kind of main metric and, and, uh, you know, um, asking them, you know, I like to know what brands creators have worked with and, and any type of case studies that I can look at that 
allows me to, you know, if, if I'm going to sign a creator, I want to know that he can also deliver for the brands. Cause at the end of the day, I want to make the brands come back and, and work with us as an agency, not just that sole creator. And I don't want them to, you know, work with, let's say, Chris, you don't deliver, then they won't work with my other 30 creators. So it's super important to me to build that relationship and know that each creator can, can somewhat deliver pretty, pretty decent. Mm. No, that's good. That makes sense for sure. So I think, um, and I guess like to boil down a couple of things that you were saying there, number one is focusing on a US audience. That means you're likely to get a high CPM because they've got more disposable income, you know, from a Western audience. Because we talked before about, um, you know, creators based in Southeast Asia and India. Yes, they might have a million plus subscribers, but the spending power of their audience is nowhere near as big. And the brands aren't as mature that are advertising in that area, right? And then the other thing too with the with the older people, <clears throat> that makes sense to me for conversion on your own products if the influencers to release their own merchandise and such. Because if you look at, um, you know, like I've got an example of, of a creator that we work with who, you know, only in quotation marks, only gets 300 to 500 concurrent viewers. But he earns, because his audience is older, like, like they're mostly 24 plus, he's able to sell $2,500 gaming PCs. To his, to his audience. He's able to um, receive like bulk amount of donations because these people are professionals that are working, you know, and they're earning serious money themselves. And, you know, he was able to receive enough donations in a year to, to build a house deposit, you know, and then, and then move into state. And, you know, often he'll, often he'll put up as a half joke, half real is like pay my mortgage this month as a, as a brand donation from, <laughs> or as a donation for his fans. And he'll reach that all the time. Yeah. Like he had a, I think he needed a new air conditioner. He put that up and he got the donations to get the new air conditioner, you know, cause he's, he's a little bit older as well. And his audience has been following for a long time. So it makes perfect sense that they're going to convert. Cause I guess it's, we're almost saying like view, views aren't everything, right? It's, it's yeah. where the views are. And it's the fact that yes, you might be able to get a billion views in India, but how many brand deals you're going to be able to activate on in India, um, especially not being able to speak the language yourself versus, you know, um, 200,000 people in, in the US versus a million in India. Yeah, exactly. And I, I actually realized that where, where I was talking to a, a little bit of smaller Twitch streamer, he was averaging between the 300 and 500, but man, he was making a lot, a lot of money than I, than I thought just from the donations and, and the, the older audience. And I, I, I came to realization that, these guys are making some of these smaller Twitch streamers with that really strong communities are making much more than, you know, some guys are pulling 300,000 uh, views on, on YouTube, a, a video. So, I mean, it, it's crazy to see that. Mm, mm. And a very, like I just brought up, I brought up this guy's basics earnings that, that we've talked about um, that I talked about with him in the past in 2019. So for 2018, you know, he received around 50% of his, of his. So if you look at just his Twitch subscriptions and bits, his um, sponsored content and appearances and then ongoing sponsorship as well. So long-term over, over a whole, you're looking at around 200,000 a year. And out of that, um, around 45% of that is just from subscriptions and bits. And that's not including donations at all. That's, yeah. that's just those three categories together. So it shows the power of your audience, you know, if they're able to do that. And that's, and that also shows the power of, I guess, live streaming versus YouTube. Right. So, so what are like, like what are the earnings parity versus, YouTube and, and Twitch, like are you managing many Twitch influencers and, and do you think that maybe the YouTubers are shooting themselves in a foot a bit because there's not so many donations and things like that happening on that platform? Um, for, well, first off, I, I don't manage any uh, Twitch streamers. Um, I just haven't, uh, I feel like I haven't, uh, I guess, developed or researched enough about the, the market there um, with how 
I know how brand deals work, but I just, I don't have like, you know, I, I don't, I feel like I don't have enough experience to go and reach out to a creator and be like, I can provide you this when I truly can't. And I don't believe in, you know, false selling myself. So mm. I've kind of stick to the YouTube path and, and, and uh, just kind of, you know, all my creators are mainly YouTube uh, creators and, and that's what I've kind of stuck with and what I found my success in. And uh, I would love to go into Twitch, but right now I just don't have the time with uh, 40 creators. I mean, it's it's been hard to handle as well. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And it, like, there's a question that I've been trying to answer to myself all the time is like, what's what's the parity, what's the value between one concurrent viewer and X amount of YouTube views? And I've been trying to go over that a lot because it's something that I'm finding really hard to effectively communicate to mainstream brands. Because a mainstream brand will say to me, or you'll see this, you'll see this a lot with the Taiwanese tech brands that we work with, because they also don't know how to value it. They usually go on um, views, like you were saying as well. So when we work with Nvidia, um, you know, Nvidia in Australia reports to Taiwan, um, or we work with ASUS, Taiwanese company, or MSI, Taiwanese company. Most of their brand deals, they want to focus on total views. But mm-hmm. if you go with a Twitch streamer, you're not going to get anywhere near that amount of total views. But you're going to get one person that will watch that stream for six hours instead but i'm finding it hard to explain to them you know what does does one concurrent viewer equal ten thousand youtube views i don't know but i'd like i'd like to get your opinion on that i know and i know you said you don't work with with twitch streams a lot but what do you think yeah um i honestly haven't given that a thought um i mean that's an that's an interesting thing to figure out exactly you know what the number like you said of one one current viewer is to youtube views because you know youtube you a single person could click on it a hundred times, you know, or it's, it's that person is in there for, for much longer than, than a 10 minute YouTube video and engaging with, with, with the content on, on Twitch. So, I mean, uh, I don't, I don't think I can tell you a number exactly. Um, but I can tell you one Twitch, <laughs> one Twitch concurrent view is much more valuable than, than a couple thousand YouTube views. I can tell you that for sure. Um, but I, I just don't know, you know, an exact number for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, hopefully someone listening to this, like whether you're listening live on, on Twitch or LinkedIn or, you know, tuning into the video audio only podcast, leave it, leave us a, leave us a comment or tell us what you think, because I'm, you know, like, I guess I, like a lot of my job as a whole in the industry is priding myself on being able to really easily break down and help people to understand things from traditional industries into gaming and esports. But this one has stumped me for a long time. And I, Part of it is because I feel like I don't really trust a lot of those ones that, you know, there's a lot of those um, online calculators that you can go through that will say mm-hmm. in those companies that do it. Like, I'm not sure if I trust those, those kind of things exactly. And I love to hear from some brands about that because my, my experience is that um, also with Twitch, you need to do something for so much longer. If you do a single like merchandise drop on a YouTube video or a single like ad for a VPN or something like that, you can get a lot of conversion. But if you just do a single sponsored stream, it's almost like doing a single tweet. It's useless. Like there's no point. And, and we did that, you know, we did kind of similar with Unicorn. We did a campaign where we tried out these two um, Instagram and Twitter personalities. You know, they both had about three to 600K each on both Instagram and Twitter. And they did some posts with us. They had seemingly perfect audience. They had an audience that is older, an audience that is used to spending $300 plus on sponsored products. But one got one conversion. The other one got zero. Um, and it was worth trying, but it's because yeah. it was just, you know, two social posts. That was it. So yeah. it's like, you know, you can't really tell a story. You can't really do much, but YouTube seems to get around that. 
like people seem to convert so easily off one video, but if it's just social or just Twitch, like it doesn't seem to be. So it just adds more confusion. I'm making myself more confused. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I gotta find that. So hopefully someone someone comments someone comments in. <laughs> hey, you mentioned you mentioned before that um before we went live too that PewDiePie got shadow banned today. Yeah. Uh, have any of your other creators and I guess I'll explain that really quickly. So for someone who doesn't understand what shadow banning is, essentially it means it a shadow banning means that you you as the person on and whatever social media won't know that you're banned. You can still log into your account, you can still post. You can likely still interact with people, but you mightn't show up in people's feeds. So it's like you're banned without knowing you're banned. That's essentially like what shadow banning is. Yeah. So uh, to answer both your questions, PewDiePie, um, I I saw someone tweet it that he he got shadow banned today on YouTube. And in the first hour, his video got uh, 30,000 views in an hour for for PewDiePie. And um, where he's usually getting at least half a million, you know, to a million an hour. And, and, uh, you know, his, his video didn't reach any sub boxes, no, you know, notification people or even the recommended page at all. And even if I, I even searched up PewDiePie's channel to see if I can find it. And at first I didn't see any of his videos. I just saw other people making a video on him in the last hour about being shadow banned. And mm. um, I also got a message uh, before from a creator. Um, he does a little bit of the political side of things. And um, he was averaging anywhere between three to 500 K views a video. And, his last couple of days, he hasn't been breaking any over a hundred thousand as well. So I don't know if he's also shadow banned or what's going on with YouTube, but I mean, we're having a bit of trouble. Um, and also in the past, some creators have found um, that if they don't upload for a certain amount, their video won't get, you know, they'll technically be shadow banned until they gain that traction back up again. They'll be kind of lost in the algorithm. So that demotivates a lot of my creators. You know, someone will be gone for a month um, and his video won't get pushed out by YouTube until he gets back into the rhythm of, of getting back into the algorithm and then it will be pushed. So some of them don't get to that point of getting back into it and they just, you know, stay unmotivated. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. There's been like, it's been like a discussion, I don't know, maybe the past two years, like everyone all the time talks about being shadow banned. Obviously some people use it as an excuse, um, just when their content's not that interesting anymore, but you know, like if it's PewDiePie, I always use him as an example because I always talk about like how creators can go out of favor. Like they only, they only have a certain amount of lifespan before people just get over who they are. They want to go follow someone else for content unless you're PewDiePie. It seems yeah. like he's a model. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I just saw it all over Twitter. Everyone's just tweeting out PewDiePie shadow band. But I mean, you know, there are some creators, like you said, just, just kind of go about and say, Oh my, these are down. So I'm just going to tell everyone I'm shadow band. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually, and the reason I brought that up too is because I was listening to Joe Rogan podcast um, and he was talking about it with this guy, <clears throat> excuse me. He had this guy on that, that wrote this book and stuff about narcissism. And then they were talking about like shadow banning. And then Joe was saying like, he saw a guy with a thousand followers on Twitter had this massive tirade about how he shadow banned. And it's like, well, I don't know. I like, I I'll do tweets that get zero engagements and I have two and a half thousand. Like sometimes you just tweet something that no one cares about. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So that's why, and that's why I'm not a content creator. <laughs> people always ask me that question, right? They're like, Hey, Chris, if you know all these YouTubers, I mean, it's the same question for you. If you know all these YouTubers and stuff, like why are you making YouTube content? 
Well, it's because A, I don't want the stress, and for B, I'm not cool enough. I don't, I don't have enough interesting ideas. Like all I do is analyze what other people do. You know, I got to stay in my lane. <laughs> yeah, I give it and go, and clearly I'm here. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's your start, right? And that's and for people to know that's what we talked about in the first one. Like that's how you started. You you just made a you know pretty low effort or low quality. You know, as far as the market goes these days, because you're literally a child. Video, you know, hit hit some pretty big views. Did another one hit some pretty big views, and you went. Well, screw this. I'm going to go into management instead. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, my views went down. I gave up. and I was like, you know, this stuff for me. And, and now I'm, I'm on the other side of the fence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's always good to buy a dream car by 18 years old, right? By managing credit. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's nice. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Yeah, that's true. So like, there's a super common question that I get asked as well is like, how do these talent manage their finances? So there's like a, Part of the part of the part of the reason I'm asking this is there are so many um, wealth managers that want to come into the space that you know for and mostly for good reasons you know want to make sure that 17 year olds don't blow their wad of cash on you know buying some random altcoins and cryptocurrency or just spending their money stupidly setting themselves up for the future and other ones are just curious like how do you, you know how do these people manage their finances are they just buying you know Gucci and and illicit substances are they just you know booking first class flights to nowhere buying cars and stuff or are they actually investing um I mean, to just to start it off, we, we do get reached out a lot actually with financial managers and wealth managers wanting to get into the, into the space and work with our creators. Um, and I'm trying to figure out my financial situation right now just because I'm young and, you know, the, the quarantine things, I just, you know, trying to figure out what my investments are and all that stuff. You know, even I bought a car and, you know, I'm a businessman. I should reinvest into my business. But, you know, sometimes you just need to do what you need to do. But um, yeah. like, like some of these creators, um, I have most of them are pretty um, well set up with, with their financial. They're do, doing some of the investment. Uh, one guy just bought a house. Um, so he lived in a, in a, in a three bedroom apartment with his two, two buddies. Um, they weren't really doing well financially, didn't have a job. And now he just, uh, bought a, a five bedroom house, um, completely out of his own pocket, um, and moved in his two buddies that aren't doing too well and bought them both PC setups and, you know, some, some, you know, he, he especially uses all his brand deals money and he buys his friends PCs. Like he's this year, I think he's probably spent about fifty thousand dollars in in PCs and just giving it to his friends. So you know he's giving back to his community. Whereas I have another creator that you know he has two Audis, he had an R8 and an RS3, and you know he's a he's a, he's a petrol head. So um, that's 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 the way he goes. So I mean, to each their own. But I mean, most of them are are kind of structured and have you know some financial goals and um, investments done. Uh, that I sometimes know about or help them with. But I mean, I don't touch that too much just because um, that's not where my expertise is. And, you know, I just, that's something I don't want to false advertise, not false advertise, but tell them I invest in this stock. You'll make, you'll make money at a 19 year old. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cause also they've got more money than you and they'll sue you if, if, if it goes wrong. Right. That's, that's yeah. something you have to, yeah. And that's, and that's one thing, like I wish I, sometimes I wish people would um, respect the creators a bit more and lay off. 
It's like, you know, if I was, if I was like 15 and earning as much money as some of these guys are like 20 grand a month, like I, you know, I would have gone, we talked about it actually last night about this Fortnite creator in Australia called Brezzo who came out of nowhere and won the Australian open tournament and he won like a hundred K cash or something like that. It's like, man, if I was 15, I'd go straight to the service station and buy as many lollies as I could. You know, so maybe we should like lay off them a bit and it's okay. Cause I remember some, some comments about, I have a friend who's a Minecraft YouTuber who's 23 and bought a house with cash. And all these people are like, no, you should be, you know, leveraging your credit and all this kind of stuff. But it's like, he's 23 and bought a house. Like, let him have it. <laughs> like, at least he didn't, you know, give it all to a girl that he fell in love with. Like, how stupid were we with girls when we were like, you know, a young teenager and things like that too. So, you know, at least at least he's doing something good with it. And, you know, talking to FaZe as well, you know, I've asked Jeff Pabst from there some questions about his talent and stuff. And he said, you know, a lot of his talent take it quite seriously. The young guys there, you know, investing into stocks and and, and slow growth bonds. Um, I think that's the right name. I can't remember the terminology, US versus Australia. But, you know, those those very safe stocks and government bonds and things like that that, that create that long-term growth, you know, one dollar $1 at a time kind of thing, yeah. compounding growth. So, you know, a lot of them do take it seriously, but, um, you know, sometimes people focus on the negative, I guess. They focus on the um, the tummy tees and, and booty booty influences of Instagram, you know, <laughs> booking private jet, um, fake private jet settings and things like oh, that. Yeah, so yeah. It's not always like that. Sometimes it is, but it's not always like that. Yeah. Saw that. Uh, I think uh, you're referring to the two twins on TikTok that, that, that bought the, the fake, uh, the fake uh, private jet, I think, and then she, they posted on Instagram and then, uh, one of their fans posted that it's it's uh, it's just like a a place that you go yeah. to the show. Yeah, it was uh, fake. I remember seeing too. Like I remember seeing maybe a year ago there was one um, trend where you could book a private jet just on the runway, so it would just be parked there. You can get in and take photos. But now there's another one where it's where it's an actual set. Yeah. So it's like a movie set that looks like a jet that you can take photos in. Oh. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> What's the um? So, so also actually, I should have asked this question before. We're talking about CPM, right? So, the income from these um, YouTubers generally they're getting from a couple of different portions. Some of them might have paid subscriptions, like YouTubers has launched that now. Um, all of them will be receiving ad revenue off directly through. YouTube slash Google off videos or views they make. And also yeah. they'll be receiving brand deals as well. So we've talked about how brand deals have gone through the roof. A lot of spending more and some are coming in and spending when they haven't before. What about the the natural um, ads that you get through CPM, through YouTube? How, how has that been trending for these guys? Was there a big cut? Because there was a lot of news over the current, like the start of the coronavirus that people, you know, big brands like um, Unilever, et cetera, has stopped spending a lot of money on YouTube and Facebook as in a response. Yeah. Um, well, one of my one of my creators is actually a Fortnite creators, and he's on uh, Google Preferred, um, and and has dropped from I think fourteen down to seven or six, um, and 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 some of these guys have have really dropped in CPMs, hence why um, they've they've increased the brand deals. And like like we talked off camera, you said, um, you know, some of your creators as well as mine. Um, have cut their prices in halves to make up for that lost ad revenue that they could have made, you know, in, in back in <laughs> a few months ago. So they decreased the price of brand deals by half and then do two times the brand deal so they can make that uh, lost ad revenue up. So um, I, I'm seeing a little bit more of that. You know, I have a creator, he dropped his price from about 1200 and he said he's willing to accept anything uh, over $600 after my, after my cut. So, you know, you see a lot of that. Mm. 
And the, and the other question then for you too, so we talked about CPMs, right? So can you explain why Google would give a six to 14 CPM, but when you're selling to a brand, you're asking for a 20 to 25? Like what's, why, why 2X? Uh, I, 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 I can't tell you. I don't know. Um, I mean, I just, I just kind of learned from <laughs> just doing it. Like, you know, I was just talking around to managers and I'm like, yo, what do you ask? And I just came to the conclusion that it's between 20 and 25 CPM. Um, and that's what I've been rolling with. So I, I can't really answer that question to you. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. a lot of my explanation for that is how many people straight up skip any automated ad that's provided to them on any platform or tune out. Like whenever I get a Twitch ad, I'll, I'll, I'll tab instantly versus yeah. if it's actually inside the video and it's created of high quality by the creator, like you're much more likely to tune in like the Phil Mora one that I said, or there's another funny channel yeah. called internet, internet comment etiquette with Eric and yeah. he will do complete skits. He'll do like four minute ads, but it's actually a play and it's, and it's in his same style. It's with the same people that's on his show. You know, it's in his stupid style of dry humor or like I would call it stupid humor really. It says a lot about me, huh? Um, <laughs> But, you know, like, I think, I think that's part of it too. Like people are much more likely to tune in. They're much more likely to convert when it's actually the influencer saying it. And that's, and that's why they say podcast ads become so popular too. Cause I feel like, you know, I, I probably listen to, um, you know, 75% of all Jocko Willings podcasts. I probably listen to half of Joe Rogan's and I feel like I know those two guys. I feel like if I went and had dinner with them, I could hold a conversation the whole night because I know their thoughts and feelings about certain things. I know what they enjoy because I've listened to literally hundreds of hours of content of both those guys talking. And so I also feel that if they're going to endorse a product, I know that I'm much more likely to convert on that yeah. because, you know, I, I feel like I know them. I feel like I could be friends with them instantly. <laughs> yeah, I 100% agree. Like you feel like you watch podcasts and then you watch their YouTube video and it's completely different people like you know when when you watch a podcast it's like like you said you can have a conversation you can be their friend basically it seems like you you're in their life and then they go into a youtube video and you're completely you know separated from that like connection so yeah yeah no that's definitely it so and, and another thing that we've talked about a bit as well is like building brands for these creators so what happens when they don't want to make youtube videos anymore if they get shadow banned they fall out of favor like are these guys going and building their own companies are they um releasing their own merchandise and i guess that's it's almost two different questions right like a merch drop is something that a lot of creators are doing now so i guess that let's 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 ask that question first like are they releasing their own merchandise are they selling their own products other than just doing brand deals um Currently right now, um, just since I was so focused on the sales side and creating brand deals, and that's what the most of my creators wanted at first was the the instant cash type thing. Um, but now they're thinking like, all right, I've built this fan base over the quarantine. I, I've grew to 10x my size. You know, it's time to launch a, a merch. So what I've done is, you know, obviously brought on, like I said to you before, my brother to handle the, the kind of cash, you know, brand deals, integrations type things. And now I'm trying to focus on, um, building merch businesses with these guys and and seeing how they can do it. So I've seen uh, a little bit, a lot, like I've seen probably, I would say 30% of my creators have done a, a, a merch drop since the, the quarantine. Um, so you can see that they're, they're pushing their own products now rather than getting the quick cash um, mm. just because at the time they needed it and they didn't have a, a, an agent to do so. But since they're, they're coming in now, they don't really think about that. And they're like, all right, we, we got the integrations locked down or the brand deals. What we're going to do now is focus on, on something else, which is merch. And then, like you said, to your second question is building their brands. Um, I don't think I have a creator building a brand yet, as in their own product. 
Um, they're still in the, the phase of, of merchandise and that's somewhere I'm lacking personally as well that, I, that I'm trying to outsource is the experience of building brands. Like I was mentioning to you, being 19, it's hard to, to, to tell the creator, oh, let's, let's go and build a multi-million dollar brand and I'll be, I'll, I'll be your manager to do so. So um, figuring out a person that I can work with or a partner to uh, build businesses with these guys would probably be the next logical step uh, moving mm. forward. Yeah, and that's something that we talked about. I think we talked about it on our last stream as well as a lot, um, you know, in, in our own chats is that equity for promotion model. Yeah. You know, after talking with Phase, that's what they did with Control. Um, and it makes and it makes sense, you know, whether you're setting up your own company or whether you're another, there are so many different um, companies that I'd be giving this exact same advice to is go find a creator, give them 10% of your company because they are your marketing. Yeah. And once again, they're if, if they resonate with your product, their viewers are also going to resonate with the products because they feel like they're friends with them. They watch their content all the time. They're going to agree with their views. They're going to agree with what they're pushing out. And it seemed to work fantastically for control. You look at the explosion of their, um, of their social presence, if nothing else, and not just followers, but engagement on their actual posts. You can see that you see that with, um, you know, G fuel and phase. And while I don't, I don't believe or, that and I, I don't know, and also I don't believe that is a um, an equity based partnership. It's just yeah. an example of a partnership where they're like really entwined with each other. Mm-hmm. Phase is G Fuel, and G Fuel is Phase, and they've got tons of flavors with the talent, and the, the talent talk about G Fuel all the time. And that was part of what I talked about before with my coaching with with Ghost, these guys here, when when I helped them decide with Exit, which is you know go as deep as you can with the creators specifically. Don't just go with the top level brand. You want the creators to be making content about you all the time. You want them to be in the background of all their streams. And you know, we talked about another streamer that wants to sign a ghost that said, I'll drink it on stream literally every single day because I already drink a supplement on stream. That's yeah. perfect. So if I was a small company, I'll go and steal that guy. <laughs> I'd yeah. be like, hey, I'll give you part of my company. You know, we'll release a flavor in your name. His name's Aussie Antics. He's a, you know, he gets like 2000 concurrent viewers. So he's not a, you know, he's not a small fish either. So, you know, go to someone like that. If you want to start off a company, it's perfect to partner with those guys. And we've all seen the power of it. We've all seen the power of, um, I'm trying to think of the public numbers I can say, I can't say, but it, once again, you use phase as an example, you know, $3 million worth of juice world merchandise sold a million dollars yeah. worth of champion hoodie sold in an hour and $2 million sold in a day and things like that. So you see the power of like, you know, when these creators become hands-on with these companies. Yeah, uh, maybe a question for you as the podcast. When, when, when you think you know when when brands are going to give more out equity to to creators for you know pushing products and things, how how can you measure? I guess the value that that a that a creator brings a company. So if you're like you know this company is worth ten million dollars, um, you're like hey hey Karen, I want to give you ten percent to promote my product. Like you know that's a million dollar valuation. How 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 do you know? how much more value does that creator bring and how valuable the creator is? Like what, what are your thoughts on, on that? I guess. It's hard to say like the, like if you think about the opposite way, like we're, we're talking with the company at the moment about doing a lot of BDM and management ongoing and strategy for them. And they're offering us payment plus equity. So part of what I did was I went and said, okay, let's say their valuation is $10 million and they want to give me 1%. Um, or say that say the valuation is ten million dollars, they want to give me ten percent, right? So then I can say, okay, that's a that's a million dollars worth of valuation. How much work is a million dollars worth to me, as as the person? How much work would I do for a million dollars? And obviously, it's not always one to one because the the ultimate is that most startups fail 
Um, the ultimate part is that a lot of the time, if it's a parent company, they're never going to sell the parent company. So you mightn't see that, that maturation of equity, but you might see some dividends come in. So it's never, as with so many of this stuff, it's never like a perfectly straightforward answer. But for me, like with a lot of the brands that big esports are working on now, we're almost turning into like a growth capital company where we've got certain, we've, which provides business development and sweat equity instead of cash. We've got a certain amount of um, brands that we're working on that we're reaching out to others, providing creators with equity, providing other service partners with equity. Um, We've got a certain amount of other people's brands that we're working on that we're doing out what we're powerful at, which is like business development and strategy and marketing that they're providing us with equity and payment for. So we've kind of got that, that kind of flow through with money, but as always just asking that question, like how, how much is it worth to us? And I think that that's, that's probably the important thing for the creator. And it's, that's, it's kind of like the advice and it's, and it's not a direct answer to your question, unfortunately, but yeah. it's, it's a lot of the advice I give to a creator when they ask me when they've never done a brand deal before, like how much should I ask? And I go like, how much do you want? Like that's an easy way. Just like if, if you, if you're going to spend an hour and a half making a 30 second um, ad for a brand, how much do you want to be paid for that hour and a half? You know, do you, like if you get a couple hundred bucks, is that okay with you? Like, yeah, sure. Your channel might be worth a thousand, but just do the first for a couple hundred bucks, build a case yeah. study, see how it goes and go from there. So I think that's important. And I think another thing too, is figuring out how much money or value you bring to the brand. Doing a merchandise drop is absolute gold for me because then you can, you can judge where your audience is, what percent conversion you're likely to get, what dollars they're likely to spend. And that can allow you to go from there. So one of the reasons why we picked those people to work with with the gambling product is because they had sold $350 figurines before yeah. um, merchandise company. So I knew that, yes, that's not directly applicable to gambling, but I knew that their audience was older, given the demographics. I knew that their audience was in a region that was likely to spend, and I knew that their audience had disposable income. So for me, it was worth spending that test budget that we had to go and test these guys. Obviously, it didn't work out. That's why it's a test budget. But you need to have those data points to go for. And also, I think if you do some basic stuff with them at the start, you know, before you try to give away that equity, like it's probably it's probably a good idea too. And that's why that's why I talk about phase so much because they're open with those numbers, and you can see those numbers. You know that you know, okay, if I'm a merchandising brand, hell yeah, I want to go to phase because they did three million dollars in a single drop. I know that, yeah. that, okay, I feel like I can replicate that with a company that's very similar. Like who knows how much control they're selling. But if, you know, FaZe went, well, we sell this much worth of G Fuel, which is a pre, you know, like a pre-workout slash, a, you know, an energy supplement, we can probably figure out we're going to sell about this much worth of control. So we know yeah. that we can go to control and say, hey, your company's worth 10 mil. We want X amount, you know, for, for a series of promotion. And I guess another way you can look at it too, is you talked about like integrations, right? So like if a creator will get paid $2,000 for an, for an integration, if they go to a brand and say, Hey, um, you know, I will do three integrations per month for you forever. Like as long as it exists, well, that's, that's six grand. And then probably discount that a little bit because, um, you know, it's, it's a long-term deal. And then off you go, that's, that's how much, you know, you should ask ask for within the company because ultimately like, you know, I was doing some consultancy with a, with a esports team and right near the end of it, they told me that they're personal friends with the current UFC world champion. And I was like, guys, hang up the call right now, <laughs> call him and give him 10% of your company because yeah. what is, what is 10% of your company worth? You're a bunch of mates. You've got a, you've got a company that's got um, equity in it, but it doesn't really have any value. 
because you yeah. guys don't really make any revenue yet. Like, yeah, you've been around for a couple of years, you've got some teens, but you're all burning your own money into that. So what really is 10% to you? Like, would you rather own 100% of nothing or 90% of a much larger company? Like, I think yeah. I would rather, like, I'd much rather own 90%. And that's what I'm learning now with these companies that we're setting up as acquirable assets, which is don't, don't worry about being um, like Mark Zuckerberg and always trying to have like 50% plus of your company as it goes forward. Sometimes it's okay to be like, I want to set up a company, I want to partner with some influencers, do a bunch of sales, but then I want to sell that. And I know who I want to sell it to. And then you go off and do the next thing. Like some really good advice that Carl Flores, one of my friends, co-founder of Unicorn um, gave to me, which is like, if anyone ever offers you money for your company, take it. Unless it's like a super low ball, because then you can just go build something else. Because if you've yeah. already sold one thing, it's likely you can sell the next. And he said, like, he said, like the the uh, entrepreneurs that are um, the most impressive to him are ones that can sell a company for a hundred thousand dollars in a year, because it's actually much much harder to sell a company than you than you would think. Yeah. You have to like agree upon a value. You have to go through all the due diligence. You have to find a buy. You have to be in a market that people are interested in. Like, it's not easy to sell a company. Because how many companies are there in the world, and how many sell every day? You, there's always fish and chip shops that you can buy for thirty thousand dollars. Always. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think like, I think that's some, some sage advice from him too. But, yeah. and then it's, it's also asking that question as to, I guess like I've, I've been trying to detach from um, thinking of things as my baby and just figuring out interesting things that I can do with others and finding where other people find value. So let's say that you're, a, let's say that you were about to launch a merchandising company um, brand new. What I would say is, okay, what does big esports provide? We can do the strategy. We can do the day-to-day operations. We can do the website. Um, we can do the marketing. Um, what what can't we do then? Okay, we don't have experience in logistics. We don't have experience in dealing with Chinese manufacturers. So let's get on a partner for that. Let's give them part of the company. They can manage all of that. What else don't we have? A lot of a lot of money that we want to pump into marketing. So let's get an influencer to do that. So that's, that's the setup of a merchandising company. Yeah. We do the BDM, we do the sales, we do the front end, we do the marketing. We've got a, we've got a portion of equity. We go to a manufacturer distribution company, either the company directly or some guys that work with those, give them a percentage of the company and then go to an influencer, which is our first drop and is also, um, you know, marketing themselves. And like you said, brings on their friends when they have a good experience, go to them. There you go. That's the setup because ultimately the company's not worth it's not worth a single dollar because it doesn't exist. But if you can do that, you've got all the right things to make it win. Plus you've got the first drop already done. So you've got the first revenue in the bag. Give that to the influencer hundred percent of that really, if, if you want to, to set that up because the company wouldn't exist without their promotion. Yeah. And then how much does this company cost to do your first drop time and $5,000 to set up the company constitution? That's it. So, you know, if you're looking at examples like that, you know, some influencers we know, they've done a first drop, they've done 500K in a day. It's cost them zero dollars to do 500K yeah. a day or five grand and a bit of time yeah. to do 500K in a day. So why not? Yeah, exactly. 100% agree. Yeah. You can tell I've been thinking about it a lot, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Long explanation. It's all good. Yeah. It was a good explanation. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you like it because that's like... You know, and that's and that's why I've been talking about this stuff and you know, some of the work that, that we want to do with you with your creators is I'm quite passionate about that because quite passionate about, you know, acquaintances and friends of mine who have been creators who have had a couple hundred thousand subscribers and just don't want to make videos anymore and, and then they run out of money. And they're like, Well, what do we do? It's like the it's the it's the classic of a sports celebrity will, you know, sign a twenty million dollar NBA contract, blow it all in a week, get it get an ACL blowout, and that's it. They yeah. got 
they got nothing left. Like, what do they do? They didn't, you know, maybe they didn't go to college, you know, maybe they, you know, they, their mind isn't set up for that. Their mind is set up for, for playing sport, you know, exactly. so you've yeah. got to do that. But, you know, once again, like we said, play to their strengths, right? Like find where their audience lives, find where their audience likes to interact with. But if anyone is like a, you know, and I know there was a question here before someone was talking about like, you know, how do I get brand deals? I've been doing a couple million views on TikTok in a few days, um, which is impressive in its own right. Do a merch drop. Because it's just, it's like, that's, that's just the golden metric that, that I use all the time to, to go yeah. to other people. Because once again, you know, by doing a merch drop, you can validate like where your audience is that actually spends the money and is active. How much of your audience is spending money on you, how much they're likely to spend. Cause you can release a $35 t-shirt and a $70 hoodie. Which ones are they buying out of those two? You can get so much data out of that yeah. because otherwise it's down to like what we said before, which is just CPM, which can be a bit shaky. Like, yes, it's up to the company to convert, but I've talked to so many influencer managers who don't have any conversion data for their, for their streamers and content creators at all. And it's just, it's just so hard to, to justify like doing something that's, um, you know, that you want to guarantee a return on because you, you just got no data. Yeah. That was with me at the beginning. I didn't have much uh, case studies. Uh, but after we did our first podcast and speaking with you after that, I've, I've done a lot of like the, using the merch as, as a case study and it's helped like immensely for, for brands, just showing them the numbers and being like, Hey, this is the creator. He did a launch on this day. This is the video. Look, look at the conversions, the, the, the numbers. And they're, they're like, they, they can then estimate, oh, it's not going to be as much, but they can take it, have a good idea of what they're potentially able to, to get if, if the product's right for that creator. So um, mm. I think using data is super important for talent managers and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and like another great example, I think, for companies to be able to set up, not just about merchandise and selling directly, but is, is a trend that I think will continue, which is Playside Studios is Australia's largest app and games development studio. And they're, they're in partnership with us. They're going through an IPO at the moment. But part of what they've done in the past is, um, is done apps with influencers. And once again, like if you, if you get that right combination of the right audience and, and the audience that cares about their creator and the app is about the right stuff, it can convert massively. Like there's an example here and this is public. So there's an app on the app store called Keep It Cleaner. And Keep It Cleaner is, is Steph Glare Smith and Laura Henshaw, two fitness creators. Steph has, I think, 1.3 million, I believe, on Instagram. Laura Henshaw has a couple hundred thousand. They have an app in the app store that, that right now is 59 health and fitness and has been much higher, but it's got a 4.9 star rating with 8,600 ratings. Yeah. And, you know, it's a subscription-based app. So you can you can extrapolate, you know, roughly probably how much money they're making out of that. It's obviously doing very well. Yeah. So once again, it's hitting all the, you know, it's hitting, it's hitting um, all the notes perfectly because they're, it's a female focused fitness. It's a female focused fitness app. It's extremely high quality. It's got real life dietitians and real life personal trainers that are doing that stuff. And it's about what the brand is. Keep it cleaner. They sell health food in Coles and Woolworths and 7-Eleven. You know, they do fitness guides for people. They're always talking about empowerment of women. They're also, they're also talking about like, you know, able different bodies of women. So you wrap that up their entire story and life into an app, then, then you've got some success based off that. So it's yeah. like, yeah, just go, just go with what they do. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I actually like with, with, with what you said with place studios, um, place out studios. Um, I like, I haven't seen much creators creating their apps. Like that's something that maybe isn't as touched in the gaming industry. I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see much creators in the gaming space creating their own apps, which 
could be a really interesting thing to look at, you know, creating their own games or, you know, instead of having to deal with <laughs> copyright strikes from other games or whatever it may be, they can create their own game and, and, and you know, make money off of that. So maybe that's potential of something in the future as well as as long as with the, the, the equity thing that we were talking about earlier. I think that's going to become mm-hmm. a lot more popular in, in the future between creators once brands understand what they're looking for and what they need and then the creators understanding what value they can bring to that brand and, 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 and go from there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know that some people looking at it, right, like Mr. Beast had that app that he did, oh, that yeah, yeah, with, yeah. you know, like last person take your finger off wins 10 grand or 100 grand or something like that, right? And um, there was another one that came out. There was another game that came out recently and I need to find who it was. A YouTuber did it. And I guess the other examples is exactly like what you said, FaZe Clan's chief revenue officer talked about that. He said, we've been thinking about buying games think about releasing our own games because we see some that we think have all of you know the guts of what it takes to be huge but just they don't have the marketing power and if phase is anything it's marketing power <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i mean uh PewDiePie, i think pewdiepie has his, has his own app now i think uh but like yeah. even, even with mr beast I, i'm not too sure what the numbers were i don't know if it was like between one and three million downloads within the first 24 hours so you can see like yeah, the wow. power of um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was between those numbers that that Beast, you know, was able to get for his game. So I can imagine if if that was a subscription subscription based, you know, game, <laughs> the guy's raking in a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm just trying to look through. I'm just trying to look through at the moment to see. The, it's called Finger on the App for anyone who wants to look it up on the App Store. And I'm just trying to find it on the Apple Store now to see like how many. Yeah, it doesn't really say. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of knockoffs right now on the App Store. <laughs> That's pretty funny. And the other, and I guess the only other closest thing too is what Doctor Disrespect made a map, and he's in Rogue Company, and also Hundred Thieves in Rogue Company now too. So they're starting to do it a bit more. And there's been like um, profit share with skins, you know, in certain games um, across Paladins, you know, across CS:GO, across Fortnite. You know, Loser Fruit has her own skin in Fortnite and things like that. So yeah. Even with, I think, Rainbow Six, I think they give, like, uh, the team something. I, I don't know what it was, like, in-game something. I don't know what it was. Um, I was talking to someone, I think it was Space Station Gaming had something, or I don't know. I'm not too familiar with the esports side of Rainbow Six, but, you know, there was some type of uh, profit sharing in, in that aspect as well. Mm, yeah, interesting, man. So what's so what's next for you? Like, what are you, what are you working on at the moment? So it seems like really you're working towards that, you know, trying to set up companies for creators and, and securing their future. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, really, I, I, I haven't had a chance to, to think about it. One is managing school, like you said, um, you know, that's that's been tough. But two, like I've been, you know, just my head in, in, in the dirt of, of doing sales. Like that's basically all I've been doing. I haven't even got the chance to sit back and be like, okay, how do I want to build my own brand? It's kind of like I'm in my emails, putting my head down, building relationships with my creators and, and providing them value because at this early stage, that's the only thing I can really do to, to let these make these guys stay long-term. Cause once I start slacking off and not provide them that, that, that cash or the deals that they want, then it's game over for me. Cause I don't have, I guess the reputation of, of a CAA to use behind me. It's basically a, a kid behind, behind a, a corporation name, which is elusive talent agency. So um, once I kind of settle down and, and find 
outsourcing resource kind of for my um, day to day. So now I, for everyone not, that doesn't know, I use my older brother as a, a guy that, you know, he's created his own roster out of the 40. So he manages about 10, I believe now out of them. And I'm teaching him how to negotiate the, the agreements. And once he has that settled down, he can, I can load off most of that work to him. So then, like you said, I can focus on building the brands or businesses with these creators and, and uh, go from there basically. But I mean, for the next three months, I'm not getting my head out of sales for, for a bit because, you know, there's also brands that I chase up on. Like I, I, I think I have just under 250,000 in old invoices right now that I'm constantly, you know, chasing after. And, and that takes time out of, you know, my day just to, just to write an email and keep chasing these brands. But I mean, it is what it is. I'll get out of it. And then, you know, school is also a huge factor that I go 8 a.m. till 6 p.m. every day. So, it, you know, in between, I have to get some emails in and, and things like that. Yeah. Nuts, man. Nuts. I mean, is anyone else at your school doing anything similar at all? Uh, no. Uh, we actually had a, t- uh, a class today. It was business law. And uh, the teacher was talking about actually influencer and digital agents and uh, we had to negotiate in the class and, and the teacher said, oh, you'd be, you'd be a good uh, talent manager because <laughs> he didn't know that I did it and it was funny. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, nobody has, nobody's in the field of what I do. I try to explain like people my age that constantly watch YouTube, like my friends watch, know who my clients are, but they totally are out of it when it comes to like, what do you do? How do you make money? They either think I, I scam or... or um, I'm on like, like a salary or I do illegal type of things. Like I'm like, listen, like there's a brand, I'm the middle guy and I, I negotiate that deal and I take a percentage and they, they still don't get it. And I've even yeah. tried to examples like here's ExpressVPN. I, I contacted them. I, I negotiated a deal. This is the price. This is what I got. And, and they still just don't get it. They're like, they, they then they go off about why would, why would a ExpressVPN pay your creator $10,000 for promotion? And I'm like, okay, I give up on telling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to get that explanation down pat, right? Yeah. It's pretty yeah. hard. And if, if people want to connect with you or follow you online, like where's, where's the best way? Um, I mean, my LinkedIn is <laughs> restricted right now. Uh, I'm trying to figure that out. I, I don't know what happened. Um, but uh, I mean, other than that, I have a Twitter, which is the prestige YT. I know very kid at name. I'm trying to get a change to, I don't know. I don't want to put it as Kieran John because that just sounds too corporate and not me. I'm trying to figure out a, a new username or <laughs> reach me usually just email, which is uh, Kieran at elusive-agency.com or elusive talent agency on, on, on Google. That's pretty much the only way you can connect with me right now. You're going to have um, to be the, um, the elusive man on Twitter. <laughs> Elusive man. That's I, from Mass Effect, isn't it? I think that's the main antagonist of, of Mass Effect, the elusive man. Yeah. Someone's well, going to correct uh, me on that. I'm gonna, my girlfriend's going to yeah, beat me up if I get that wrong. She's a Mass Effect. <laughs> Make sure she doesn't watch the podcast. Yeah, she probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> so that's fine. Cool, man. Well, thanks, thanks for coming on. Is there any, any uh, final comments? Uh, no, I just appreciate your time again. So this is our second one. So I'll probably see you when I'm 20. And then after that, see you when I'm 21. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, man. And thanks to everyone. So whether you're tuning in now live on Twitch, on LinkedIn, uh, whether you're watching the video version of the podcast or audio only version, once again, we've got podcasts coming out every week. At this stage, they're released Thursday in Australia times. So that's Wednesday night in the US. Thanks, guys. Bye for now.